0: Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Friday as this drops, let's get it going. Hobby, stand freaking up. Shout out to all you collectors. Shout out to everyone who told their damn friend about this program. Today, I got my man, Rob G. You know him. Sports card therapist. We are talking about content in the hobby. We're talking about what inspires, what influences, all of those good things. Ultimately, how can content help us level up our collection? Hopefully, we're bringing you some content today that you enjoy, that inspires you, that helps you as you're trying to navigate this wild and wacky hobby that we're going through. If you like what I'm doing, follow, subscribe, all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. Any true crime junkies out there? Uh, <laughs> my guests and... Myself, were going down deep rabbit holes, and I thought we might need to flip this from a sports card conversation to a true crime conversation, but we're not going to do that right here. But we, there might be a spinoff podcast from the two of us as we're both content creators. Um, we're going to talk about hobby content. We're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff. But without further ado, I am joined by my guest who's been on the program before, Rob Gerard. You know him as the sports card therapist. Rob, welcome. How are you?
1: Brett, Brett, Brett. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, so you you know, you came on my pod a couple weeks ago and uh and through that conversation we were like maybe we should have a music podcast talking about all the old school R&B. So so now we're mixing R&B with true crime. I really think we're going to have something unique here. We're literally going to have the only lane
0: in whatever podcast it is we develop together. 100% and I know you're always pushing me to do this video thing. You're a big YouTube guy and I'm not so much, but for anyone out there who do, can't see Rob, I'm looking at Rob right now and I see a giant's helmet. Of course I see Hogan and Andre uh, from WrestleMania three and I see up at the top, it's kind of covered by some cars, but I see uh notorious R.I.P. with a crown. Um, so maybe like while we just kind of prime the pump, talk a little bit about BIG cuz we we've never hit him. I'm curious. Notorious BIG. Um w- <laughs> which album do you like better? You like uh Life After Death or Ready to Die?
1: You know, I got to be honest, man, and and yeah, dude, I mean, great observation. Um so Biggie is number 2 on my list of greatest of all time. Uh he's he's de- absolutely one of the goats, man. I think if I had to go with an album, I would have to probably go with Life After Death. I feel like it's just a more polished album you know almost like how like wu-tang 36 chambers you can compare that to to ready to die right it's like it's like you know wu-tang or biggie in their rawest form you know what i mean like and then you look at wu-tang forever the double album and you look at, at biggie life after death the double album i mean it's just such a well polished album and i just sat and spent so much more time with that double album cuz there was so much to consume there um, so I, th- I think I'd probably have to go with life after death, but there's so many, uh, I get the chills just thinking about life after death. Just the fact that, you know, he, he ends up getting killed days before it's released and, and just the title in general, and a lot of the tracks and a lot of his lines in there just have so many, uh, li- you know, just like the whole thing is just nuts, but
0: yeah, I would go with life after death. What about you? You, I don't. Okay. So I'll say you can't go wrong either way, but yeah. I would say, uh, so life after death, definitely. I love your observations on that record, more polished. Um, I feel like, uh, n- you know, m- music videos more popularized maybe in a way, but I'm probably going to lean ready to ready to die. Mm. And I'm probably going to do that because dude, I would listen to that CD on mm. my Sony Discman, And I would be like, I thought I was like, man, my mom has no idea I'm listening to this shit right now. And this is so awesome. And it felt like I was being introduced to like a whole new world every time I played that. And so, uh, you know, probably that one. But it's it's really close. You can't go wrong. I got to ask you, you said Biggie's number two. Who's your number one of all time? Well, let me just say real quick.
1: So at the 94 Source Awards, do you know that Ready to Die beat Matic as album of the year?
0: so yeah i yeah i i both uh yeah there's some uh netflix i watched something some biggie doc recently that i that info was was uh given to me on be illmatic um but as far
1: as the goat as far as the uh the greatest of all time in my opinion i'm probably gonna have to go a prodigy of mob deep um you know his (laughs) his his his, the mob deep catalog is just you know second to none um you know, I had I had a radio show in Connecticut a long time ago, and uh, and got to interview Mob Deep, and 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 when they came to Connecticut, I actually got to go backstage with them, and and kind of like chop it up for a couple of minutes. It was just like unbelievable. So, but even if you take that personal experience I had with them out of the picture, I would still go with Prodigy. Uh, you know, just his the the Mob Deep catalog is just second to none, and then his his solo work just unbelievable.
0: Can't go wrong. Talking hip hop, warming it up. We're going to talk about uh, the role of hobby content to enhance your hobby experience. You are a content creator in this hobby, and we're going to dive in deep. I have some observations on things I've been seeing with just on Instagram, just YouTube, different hobby channels, and just I think it's been a positive change or shift. Um, So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But before we get there, I wanted to hit the uh vintage uh topic with you just because when we were originally planning this i kind of swerved you we were going to go talk vintage but i was like i kind of want to talk about this right now with you because it's i don't know timely and relevant but i vintage so you have been collecting vintage i i know you're a big yankees guy have been picking up pieces i commented to you that um, and we'll shout them out here that my, some of my favorite conversations on your podcast are with uh, Nate in Cardboard Veritas. Mostly I enjoy these conversations, and a qualifier here is like you can feel and hear the passion. And I always hear that from Nate. But then also, since I don't collect in a vintage lane, I always feel like I'm getting educated by learning from uh, people like you and Nate. And it's like, I don't know if I'll ever explore that rabbit hole, but it's just good knowledge to have. So I guess one vintage you've been kind of deep in the vintage game both baseball wrestling a bunch of other things so maybe talk about what what led you there and how much fun you're having yeah you know i think um i think what i like so
1: much about vintage i mean what can i say that hasn't already been said by many others before you know but I, i think with vintage there's such a story within the card itself you know you think about you know take for instance I'll I have a 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth that is one of one of my favorite cards of all time um that I own it's unbelievable it's 90 years old this year it's going to be 90 years old and I think about what was going on in the world at that time I mean the United States was a completely different place you know um and uh, you think about the hands that those cards have passed through you think about what that card has meant to all of the previous owners from that. You know, you think about the journey that this card has taken. There's so many things that have not survived 1933, but somehow this card has. And I think there's just something to be said for a card that's 90 years old versus a card that literally just came off the printer from Panini. You know what I mean? I feel like there's just... The magnitude of some of these vintage cars, really all these vintage cards, even if it's a common, you know, even if it's just a regular old common, you know, just surviving all that it just it just speaks to me
0: so i I love the uh explanation, and I think you've got pro vintage people, you got pro ultra modern, you got some people maybe kind of in the middle. You mentioned all the hands that you passed through, and I think for me. The thing I like about the ultra modern is I like the manufactured scarcity component, knowing that, you know, there's only 10 copies of this gold prism. And like, I have one of 10, whereas, you know, with the vintage stuff, it's, you know, there's, there's more available, but I I don't know. I think what I've noticed and observed, like, you know, vintage, not everyone grades, but those who grade, then the game is based on like the technical grade given by, you know, Beckett SGC PSA and people try to get, you know, the best copies and move up that way. And the price is very dependent on the condition. Um, so it's kind of like it's the hobby. We're all collecting cards, but just the approach and what people are desire might be a little bit different. So maybe talk about just on the vintage side, what's a little bit, what do you like that's maybe different from the ultra modern stuff? You mentioned like they're older, right. And they've been through a bunch of hands, but maybe like the collecting component, what do you like? That's different. And maybe what do you not like that is different from the way things are today?
1: Yeah. You know, I think when, I think a lot of us, we've all covered it. I know I, I feel like a broken record sometimes when I talk about nostalgia, you know, and, and nostalgia is really just, um, definition would be, you know, uh that longing feeling for the past, you know, when when things seemed better, easier, more fun, that kind of thing. So, when I think about these vintage cards, these vintage collections, I mean, it completely takes me out of really what's going on in my life at the moment. It just takes me out of everything, you know, and it brings me back to a time where I would get the Beckett magazine in the mail. I would look at it and I would see these cards that didn't even seem real because most card shops didn't even have them. Most card shows that I went to, I would rarely see some of these incredible vintage cards. And, you know, knowing now that maybe I have this strange opportunity uh, and I say strange because I never envisioned really playing in the field of these iconic vintage cards, you know, Um, but it just seems like being able to acquire something that never seemed, you know, really in the realm of possibility before. And, um, and, you know, I definitely have a lot of respect for modern ultra modern, all that, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and I've dipped my toe a little bit into ultra modern, but it's really only, it's really still though, the ultra modern that I've dipped my toe in still has a nostalgic feel because it's Hulk Hogan. It's Andre, the giant, it's uh mean Gene Okerlund. So it's still these nostalgic figures for me. You know, I think it just, for me, it just, it feels a little too risky to be collecting ultra modern of modern players. If that makes sense.
0: It does. It does make sense. And I think it's, I almost put a post out about this recently, but um, I, it might've been this morning. I was thinking about it, but just like, uh, you know what it was? It was on the heels of like I've been posting a lot of Andrew Luck cards recently, and like because like the, that that period of time and the transition from Peyton and Luck coming in, like there was a lot of fun moments. And they didn't Colts didn't win a Super Bowl, but man, Andrew Luck. When I think of all the players who've made me feel something as a fan, like he's right up there. But when I came back in the hobby, it's the same year Luck retired unexpectedly. Is so was it popular to collect Andrew Luck? Absolutely not. So it took me a a little bit to get to the point to be like, why the hell am I not collecting this guy? And so I've been you know buying great luck cards, trying to curate and build my collection, and I'm really proud of it. And it brings me back to those times of him being on the field and um, enjoying watching him play. And I post every time I post one of his cards, I get this big reaction, and I think to myself, it's like you know what? Like this is what being content is because i can buy these cards they're a lot cheaper than a bunch of these other ultra modern cards that are out there and i'm buying them for myself and i'm buying them because they make me happy and you know what i don't have to worry about rob i don't have to worry about andrew luck tearing his acl i don't have to worry about andrew luck throwing five picks i don't have to worry about andrew luck going you know eight and nine in a season and it being a disappointment so I don't know. I'm with you on that. So I think what maybe one of the advantages of collecting vintage is like these guys aren't playing anymore. And while some people like to go to the roulette table, other people don't. And I think that's maybe an advantage you get when you're collecting kind of vintage cards.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And and there's, you packed so much into there that I, uh, that I want to like counter and follow up on. So I'm probably (laughs) going to lose track, but everything you're saying about the, Andrew Luck thing and the, and the, and the collecting and, and how much you connect with that. I've literally gone down that same rabbit hole with my Eli collecting. I finally, I had gotten to a point where I said, you know what, man, now is the time to pull a trigger on, on really beefing up my Eli Manning collection and, and, and really enjoying it, even though I had so much heartbreak with him, you know, over the years. So, um, you know, just really being able to do that has been awesome. And, uh, and you know, it's like, I think the reason why you get such a reaction from the Andrew Luck about when you post the Andrew Luck stuff is because people know you're posting it from a place of of your heart. You know, you're not just out there just flipping to flip to flip to flip to flip. And don't get me wrong, you know, I, I definitely went through a period when I came back in the hobby where I found myself kind of getting caught up in that. And, you know, no regrets because I was able to get a couple grail cards that I still own today that are long-term holds, but looking back on it, I really didn't, there was not much joy at all for me in, in the flipping. It it felt like a drug almost like before I even got, you know, uh, the second the deal was finalized, I was already trying to move that card into something else. And, and it's like, you know, we, we talk about, you know, a card finding it's forever home, or at least it's long-term home. And I think a lot of these ultra modern cards, man. You know, we've talked about it. It's just hot potato, you know. And and I think people are going to be left holding the bag. And when it comes to vintage, people really aren't left holding the bag—not nearly as much.
0: Totally. Um. And I've been enjoying to be. I've been enjoying watching your Eli post because of the reason you stated about why you think people like my Andrew Luck posts is because I know you're a Giants fan, and I know maybe Eli. Uh, wasn't the most uh, glamorous quarterback at the time. However, the guy has two Super Bowls. He beat Brady both times and he's heading to Canton. So while he might not be the flashiest guy to collect right now, I think like from a long-term perspective and your personal happiness perspective, like when you line those things up, that's really when you start to kind of enhance your hobby experience. So we've, we've laid a lot of groundwork. We've talked a lot about this and I think, um, maybe a good place to transition to is just content and the hobby, um, in and of itself. So I think I'd love to know you, uh, you know, being a consumer of your content, I've definitely detected much like people say to me when they've listened to my stuff for a while, it's like they detect the evolution and kind of what you're going through in the hobby. And I think that's the fun of having a podcast where you just share, you know, raw thoughts and emotion. Um, I've often said, and I, I, I think I've got these categories of content that I consume in the hobby, and but I, I enjoy your show because um I feel like you're you know you're you're talking with people as opposed to talking at people, um, which is kind of a qual a qualifier for me if I'm gonna spend time listening or watching anything. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about that, talk about your intention, talk a little bit about your evolution, like why are you spending all of this time creating content for the hobby?
1: Great question, man, and I I really wish I had an answer for that. I really I really don't know. I don't know why I spend so much time. You know, um, you know, I've I've said it to you before privately, and I've said it to you publicly as well. You are definitely someone that um that inspires me. You know, like I think like there's only a handful of us that when I look at it that that I think put out the amount of content that that we probably do. And, you know, and say looking at you at to the level of the content that you put out you, you, like you're putting out quality content every single episode it feels like is super quality content and it's always consistent so i i think in in many ways look at what you do or look at um you know guys that we know that um you know i could definitely name name the few podcasts i know i listen to on a regular basis whether if it's you know the crossover, whether if it's a wax museum, whether if it's sports card, nobody, if it's cousins collectibles, if it's crosstown cardboard, which is a newer podcast sports card lessons, my buddy Ken, you know, it's like people that put out weekly content and it's good content that motivates me. Jordan wouldn't, and I'm not calling myself Jordan and I'm not calling you Jordan, but Jordan wouldn't have been Jordan without Isaiah Thomas. You know, it's like, it's like you need guys that are, I think, in our space to kind of look to and be like, "Man, oh, people look at my kind the way I know I look at Brett." You know, I can't even imagine that.
0: So, yeah, no doubt, man. Well, oh, I appreciate the the remarks and kind words. I just, I think, um, I look at your show, what you're doing, um, alongside a lot of uh, the the creators that you mentioned. And to me, it it's a signal of good uh, content health in the hobby. And it just seemed like for so long, so much of what I and I don't want to put this down, and I don't want to. It has a place, but like there is a a sliver of the hobby that I like and enjoy and consume, and I want content to align to that sliver. And a lot of that is around collecting, or a lot of that is around passion. And it seemed like for so long everything i saw on a day to day basis was was so over indexed to buy low sell high and i feel like the market conditions happened and we're currently going through that and it becomes less there's less of an opportunity to communicate and talk like that and so i think it's allowed like the collecting voice and the collecting platform to be elevated in a way where Now, like my feed, yeah, there's some negativity. There's some people bickering about prices and who's hyping what and this and that. Like, that's always going to be part of the hobby. But I feel like a majority of what I'm consuming on the Instagram feed or through content platforms like yours is just like people like being like, you know what? Like, I love these cards and this is why I love these cards. And they bring me back to this nostalgia and this connection. And I don't know that I think that's really good for just the long term health of, of the hobby. I guess like what what's, what's you, been your evaluation um, cuz there's been a shift that's certainly happened over the last 6 to 12 months but I'd love to get your perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think with just everything that's happened with the market, you know, when I came when I came back in, right? Cuz I collected as a kid. I grew up going to card stores. I would go with my dad on the weekends cuz my family was divorced and uh and you know, my dad would take me on the weekends and we would always go to the, um, the card store, you know, I grew up in Newtown, Connecticut. So there was this little card store in Sandy hook called Trinity cards. And, uh, and he would bring me there constantly every weekend. And I would buy singles, right? Like, I'm sure I bought packs, but I was always a single, even as a kid, I would buy singles and I collected singles, you know? And so coming back into the hobby, when I came back, it was really, it felt like catching fire, the hobby. And it was like, wow, this is really expensive. And if I want to play any kind of role in being able to collect and enjoy it, um, I need to kind of jump in here. So now that the hobby and the market has kind of cooled off a little bit, I almost feel like everything's going for so cheap, you know, because I came in, everything was sky high. So everything kind of feels cheap now. But at the same time, I'm trying to be responsible with my money and I'm trying to realize, like, okay, like. So, you know, even though this Babe Ruth was 15K a year ago, now it's down to 10K. So that would make it seem like it's a pretty good deal. But what's keeping me, I think, from pulling a trigger on a card like that is what if it drops down to 5K six months from now or a year from now? So I think just adapting to what the conditions are, right? I mean, that's how, how, you know, species last. Is just learning to adapt so i know i've talked a lot about um really just you know trading is huge trading is huge because you know i started setting up at shows you know a year and a half ago and really i was setting up at shows because i was like okay i need content for my podcast i don't know where this is going like i think i might start setting up at shows even though now without with even if i didn't set up at shows now i'm just so in this That, you know, I feel like I could do without the content. But what I'm seeing at shows, though, you know, really uh, on the front lines are people just really are not buying, you know, Mm -hmm. or they're not buying very much. You know, everyone's bringing cards to the shows because they want to either trade or trade down. It seemed like the trend a year ago, everyone wanted to trade up. Now it seems like people are trying to trade down and they can't even trade down because people are like, listen, I'm kind of pumping the brakes on this. So I think. Really just adapting to there's ways we can curate our collection without having to come out of pocket. Cause I think I speak for the majority of, you know, Americans right now, and we're a lot of us are hurting financially. So we can't just put out big money for big cards, but that doesn't mean that we have to stop curating
0: our collections. I've got a couple of things there that you said uh that are interesting. I think though do you remember when like you got back into the hobby, and like you started meeting people, and you'd see these people. Like you got to know, and they just seem like normal guys, like you and I. And all of a sudden, they're just like you know, showing their collection and talking about selling cards. And you're digging in, and the cards they're selling, you're looking at, you're just like ten thousand dollar cards, and they're like what? And it's because like these people have been there, they've been yeah. here longer, and. When it was a downtime, like it is now, what were they doing? they were they're buying cards because they love the cards, and then it gets to this point where the market zips back up, and all of a sudden they're like, "Yeah, I love that Kobe Bryant card, but I don't love it as much as the ten thousand dollars that I could use to go buy all these other cards that I love. So that's one of the things I've been reflecting on, and it's just like confirmation for me to just like don't get too crazy. but like if you see something that you really like, and is really nice, and you think the price is right, and have conviction around it, be, just because the market is going down right now, like, don't be scared to to buy it. Um, not necessarily buy to sell, but like, don't be scared to buy it. Because who knows? We, we can't forecast three years from now, five years from now. I know I'll still be here. I'm pretty sure knowing you, you'll be here. But I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about like, now is a good moment to buy, be responsible. But if you see something you like, like don't be scared to take the leap. Like what, I'm you do a lot of deals buying, like what what have your thoughts been here?
1: Yeah, I mean, very well said. You, You know, I look at over the last two years, I try to think about all the cards that I've looked at that I've been like, wow, almost like going back, coming full circle, going back to when I was a kid, looking at Beckett Magazine, looking at what cards just seemed unattainable. Now I'm sitting back and I'm saying, hmm, over the last two years, what cards to me have seemed unattainable that now that the market's down, maybe I might be able to make a play at. And that's kind of what I'm doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm curating my collection at the same time. I'm really trying to be picky about what I get and how I get it. So, you know, listen, there are plenty of people out there. There are plenty of, of dealers out there. There's accounts that I follow that I know that are looking to trade down. They're like, listen, I got this $15,000 card. I've had, I'm, you know, these guys are that that are just dealers and flippers on flipping on flipping, um, which is cool, right? That's cool because without, without them, I mean, I might not ever get the card that I really want. So it's like it's needed i remember you saying that on one of your episodes about probably about like 18 months ago i remember you saying something like listen like flippers are needed like deal you know they're they're needed because you know it's like one of those necessities in the hobby because it helps kind of get the cards moving if everyone just held their cards then i would never be able to get the card i want but there's people that have like a fifteen thousand dollar card right now and not many people have 15k cash You know, Mm -hmm. maybe a year ago, there was a lot more cash flying around, but now the cash is kind of dried up. So they're looking to really trade down as long as they get decent value for, you know, so if someone's got a 15 K card that I really want, I'm going to start looking around my Zion box for my PC and say, Hey, can I put together maybe 17 K worth of cards to pitch to him? You know, like give him a deal. That's almost too good to turn down. And especially if that 17 K in cards, maybe is broken up over 5 to 7 cards. That's a lot easier for him to sell mm-hmm. and then capitalize on than holding on to that 15k card. So, I'm always kind of looking for opportunities there and I still believe that the deals happen in for me anyways in the IG stories. People are constantly posting story sales and I know the accounts that I'm always looking for. I know the accounts that when I see they have a new story post up I'm like, I bet it's a story sale. And those are the guys I'm looking for. So, um, and then also I've kind of just gotten into Twitter and uh, I've slowly started to kind of dip my toe into there. And And they have some tremendous buy, sell, trade threads that people are always posting. So those are kind of cool. I know there's, a, there's one account that um, posts uh, wrestling buy, sell, trade uh, thread. I think it's like once a week, either on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So I'm always looking out for that, that too.
0: That can be dangerous. Um, so, uh, something I've been thinking a lot about is just like, I, uh, I think a lot about just like consumer behavior and like my own consumer behavior. And it's like, I mean, everyone listening out there right now, I want everyone to listening to think about this. Think about your watch list. Okay. You got your watch list, you know, you've got you can probably scroll and scroll and scroll. And you look at these cards, and you're like, I'd love these cards, but there's always been, there's something about those things on your watch list, the, especially the cards that have been there for you know three months or so that you're saying like they, they've prevented you from buying the card, right? We've all got this, but then all of a sudden a new card pops up and you don't even think twice about it. It's like, yeah, you, you might even not even look at the comps. It's just like, holy shit. Like, this is a card I have to have. And you end up buying it. And I find that fascinating. So like, what is it? I don't know. What is it for you? Like, what are those things or qualities or any examples that you have that have caused you to, instead of just like putting it on the shelf, you saying like, I better, even with it, if it had make an offer, it's like, I better buy this now because I know someone else is going to scoop it up.
1: Well, you know, I I think, with the way that I get my cards, I get my cards really two ways. I get my cards buying on eBay and I get my cards trading up into uh, with dealers that I know through Instagram, right? So when it comes to the eBay cards, you know, I'm buying most of my cards off eBay that are probably going to be like five hundred dollars or less, Five hundred bucks or less. That's what I'm buying. You know i know i've just been on a huge eli kick recently so it's like uh, you know and and same thing with like uh i've been on a big gold kick which which i'm not a gold guy i'm not an ultra modern guy but when it comes to these my wrestling pc especially like mean gene um you know mean gene andre hogan I'm, i'm trying to acquire some golds here but um you know so if it's 500 or less i'm probably buying on ebay i'm watching auctions i'm setting my alarm on my phone so that way I can log on with a minute left and and hopefully snipe it but the bigger cards I'm always looking to trade up. I'm always looking to add cash and give them maybe something smaller and liquid up a card. So, you know, because really any of my bigger cards, you know, I look at any of my bigger cards I have and I don't think I paid full cash for a single one of them. It's always been a combination of trade and cash. And um, you know, I mean, I, I've I I got I have a buddy. Uh, I won't say who it is, but he he mentioned how last year he ended up like or last year he bought a card for like 15k. It was an Otani card, and something happened. Whether it was the market blowing up or Otani like having just an MVP season, somehow he ended up getting a hundred k offer for it. But it was 90k in trade, 10k in cash. I think he said he was into it for like 20 or 25k cash. And he took it. You know, he's like, Of course, I'm going to take that because I can make a ton of moves with that. And it was actually right before the national that I met you at two years ago, the one in Chicago. So he told me he went there and literally sold all 90K in cards. He was able to just move everything. So, you know, don't discount combining cash with trade. I love doing that. And I think it's just all about your approach with people, it's about your relationships with people, um, all, almost. I rarely buy anything from someone for the first time. All these cards I'm acquiring are mostly just repeat guys I'm I'm constantly buying from and moving up, you know. And I think that's because I've really consolidated my collection in the last in the last year or so. Because like a lot of us, you know, I think when I got back in the hobby, I was kind of buying up everything. I was buying up everything, everything that I thought was cool that was trendy. I didn't want to be left out. So I wanted to buy him, I wanted to buy him. And then before you know, I end up with all this stuff I don't want. So I just consolidate, level up, maybe take a loss on some of it, but eventually ended up with some really kick-ass cards that might not be as rare as an out of ten, like a Bill Russell rookie. You know, I mean, you might end up, you know, there's a few hundred of those out there graded, maybe even close to a thousand. I haven't looked, but um, but a card like that though is always going to be in demand. Always. Look at the look at the Jordan rookie, the '86 Fleer. There's over 20,000 of them graded through PSA. But if you have one, you'll get market value for it tomorrow. I think Chris from uh, Chris from Card Ladder just said that on your pod last week.
0: No doubt about it. Before we get out of here, I'm going to go back to the contents conversation. But before I do that, I want to hit on this cash trade deal you've been talking about. So a lot of people don't know how to do that. A lot of people maybe are scared, don't know how to approach it. I think what I hear from you is that you have you didn't say this, but this is what I'm assuming is that you have built a network of people where you know what their intentions are with the cards and how they run their business. So you have an understanding of how they run their business. Then what you do is you kind of enter that hemisphere and you try to work with them knowing what they want and then what you want on the back end. And so the more you do this with individuals, the easier it gets, right? It's like you got, you know, it's like you got a dealer to go to and you can make your exchanges, get what you want and you're in and you're out. But I think the hardest part is getting to that point where you've established that network and group of people. So maybe share a little, shed a little light and talk a little bit about how you got there with that group of people. Because I think that's a, a definitely a hobby shortcut or a, a fast pass to getting some cool cards you want and not breaking the bank.
1: Yeah, definitely, man, and uh, and and I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to shout out like three guys who I've done deals with in the past, and there's a ton of them out there, but I'm just giving three examples. Um, all on Instagram at Extraordinary Cards, at Mikey's Cards, or is it Mikey's underscore Cards, and at Basketball Card Paradise. So these three guys, these are all three guys I met through Instagram. However, because of going to so many shows um on the East Coast, I've actually met all three of them before. So, um, uh, Mikey's cards, I haven't met actually, but I've done multiple deals with all three of these guys. So this is what I do, right? I have these three guys in my mind, right? And there's a couple more guys out there that are like this, but anytime, probably like once every few weeks, what I'll do is I'll take like my five to 10 cards that I have that I'm kind of, uh, I'm like, okay, I don't mind moving this now. Like I'm, I'm good with this card. I'm going to, and I'll, I'll take a group picture of them, six cards, boom click the picture. Now it's in my photos. So whether if I'm at work, if I'm on vacation, if I'm anywhere, if I see all of a sudden that extraordinary cards posts a Babe Ruth for sale, and I'm like, what? Or he posts a Luau Cinder rookie for sale. I'm like, what? First thing I'm going to do is send him a picture, that picture of those six cards that I have that I'm willing to move right and they have to be quality cards i'm not sending them 20 dollar cards i'm sending them cards that are probably valued between like 503k maybe i'll send them a picture and i'll say hey any interest in any of these because i like that Lou cinder any interest in these because i love that curry and basically i let them make the deal you know i let them pick so now they can pick and choose like oh you know what I kind of like that Jason Tatum. Ah, I kind of like that Luca. Ah, I like that. What's that? You know? And they're like, you know what? I would do. Um, I would do those two cards plus 700 cash. And now the balls in my court, he's already found two cards. He likes of mine. Now, do I have the 700 cash handy that I could say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do that and make that deal. And if that's the case, that's trading up. I put two cards with my cash. Boom. Now I'm getting a bigger card. That wouldn't have gotten otherwise because I didn't have the four K cash just readily available.
0: This is good. This is good content. Not a lot of people have the four cash available in this economy. So if yeah. you're looking to move up into bigger, better cards, that isn't a, a approach I think worth taking. I will also say, just to like put an exclamation point behind it, is that you said two out of the three you met at shows like that face to face personal interaction, like getting that done. Like go to shows. Go to shows, meet people, build the relationships because it affords you the opportunity. Trust is built and it affords you the opportunity to make quicker deals like that and end up getting cards that you want. So thank you for sharing. I think that's awesome. I'm sure people out there are going to benefit from that. Um, Before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about the week content and just we, uh, you pick up your phone and it's just like content flurry 24 seven. And my, my take and my observations from like some of the content just on Instagram, it's like you've got a group of people that are, have an agenda. They're, pu- they're pushing a player, they're pushing a card, and they're doing it to try to solidify that player or card's position in the market and to let people know that they think this is someone that you should care about too. You know, my take on that is the more I see people do that, the less I desire that card and actually kind of turns me off a little bit. So I think that's like, in a way, like the hot, the trendy, what you should like, that's kind of like the the mainstream approach to like growing the hobby. People think that by showing cards going up and showing these hot players that people are going to be inclined to come in the hobby. But what happens is they borrow the cards, they lose money, and then they leave think what's really powerful, and I'd love to get your perspective on this because you're a creator in the hobby. And whether you try to influence or inspire, it inevitably it happens because people tune into your program. I'm sure you've gotten DMs that said, hey, Rob, you talked about this set. You talked about this card. I actually hit eBay, and I've been in this rabbit hole. And as a matter of fact, look at this piece of mail I just got. And it was because something you said. So I think there's a fine line behind influence and inspiration, but... I don't know. It just seems to me and I'm a I buy cards because some collector I admire opens up their collection on Instagram and starts showing sets and parallels and stuff that I never seen before and then I go exploring and buying cards. That to me is growing the hobby organically. That's inspiring your audience to go out there and, you know, seek new cards and sets that aren't in your face every day. That's like I I've just been like looking at that and it seems like my antennas go are up on this so much that when I'm just scrolling through the feed, it's like, I red flag them one way or the other right away. It's like, these people are here because they're just passionate and sharing their collection. And these people are here because they're trying to get you to buy into whatever they're selling. There is no wrong way to hobby. I will say that, but I'm more attracted to the people who are sharing their passion. It's what they're passionate about. And it might get me to go set up another save search and, uh eBay. So I just threw a lot out at you. I'm sure this comes into your hemisphere. How do you handle it? What is your perspective? Like inspiration, influence? Like what do you think is good content that helps our hobby grow?
1: Yeah, man. And and listen, I, I think just as important as it is, you know, who you surround yourself with, right? That's like that's like being an adult, being a teenager 101, right? It's kind of like you are who you hang with. So um you know if i'm hanging around with five assholes chances are i'm, I'm going to turn into that sixth asshole the chances of me changing those five guys are 0 to none i'm going to end up being that sixth asshole that's why it's important for me to at least for me on a personal level surround myself with with grown men uh you know married men that have you know children and handle the responsibilities i'm not hanging out with single dudes that are like all about chase and tail right that's just not what i'm doing so that's why it's important for me to listen to the kind of content that I prefer, right? And and the, and and content absolutely can inspire and influence us. You know, I could remember listening to a pod. I can remember listening to your podcast probably about a year ago. You had Drake on, you know, and and Drake has turned into someone that has become a friend of mine as well, which is awesome. Um, and you guys were talking about Peyton Manning. And you guys were just talking about Peyton. That's all you were doing. Just talking about your admiration for him. And I can remember, you know, immediately I went on eBay and ended up like saving like 10 different Peyton cards. I'm like, I'm going to buy a Peyton card. I want a Peyton card now. You know what I mean? Just like, and it's not that you guys were pushing him or pumping him, you know, but you guys were just talking about him. And that was really cool. You talked about your passion behind him. And um, so speaking of Drake, you know, he was just on my pod last week. And I'm going to tie this into when you came on as well. Um, not too long ago, him and I were having a conversation around, um, you know, reposting the same card, and and I think it kind of ruffled some feathers. Um, kind
0: of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you caught wind of that?
0: <laughs> hey, uh, I'm just an observer. I, I'm a hobby spectator, uh, so I listened yeah. to the conversation, and I was like, "Ooh, that's gonna be interesting." And then it was like moments later, just observing
1: the chatter. It's fun, yeah, man. Exactly. So, um, so. So yeah, I think, and then you and I to go back to it. We talked about how a couple of weeks ago when you came on my pod, we talked about how we think about creative ways to like pair cards together and, and post them. And, and you tied that into the Jerry Rice acquisition and, 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 and posting it with Steve Young and Terrell Owens, you know? So it's like, it's really cool. I think when you do it in ways like that, it's really cool um and and to me that's complete 110% inspiration that's all inspire right now when someone is is constantly reposting you know same or extremely similar cards um i don't necessarily think that they're trying to influence because i always want to give people benefit of the doubt um but yeah i think there's that super thin line between influence and inspire you know and and i know i never want to be looked at as someone that influences or is trying to influence or trying to push push certain things but i had someone reach out to me after the drake episode and he's been a long time listener he's always dming me always 110 percent positive supportive and he goes you know what rob ever since you put you know because now i have like a backdrop behind me that i put of like my top six cards that i own that i love and he goes you know what people can look at that as you're trying to influence them with those six cards Because you never change those cards out. So who's to say you're not pumping those cards? And I was like, mind blown, dude, you are absolutely (laughs) right. What can I even say to that? You know, what can I even say to that? Like, I have cards behind me. You're right. So it's, there's just such a thin line and I'm never going to judge someone on like their intent or anything like Mm -hmm. that or what their motivation is. But, you know, it is what it is, man. You know, I think when we're, when, when cards are big money you know, there's a lot that can happen, and there's a lot of uh, disagreements that can happen in strong opinions.
0: There sure is. I love what you said about surrounding yourself with the right type of people. And it's not that the other people are bad people, it's just we're you, everyone's at different stages of their lives, and everyone's got different responsibilities. Um, and I don't, <laughs> the more I do this show, I'm like, man, this podcast is a. Podcast for busy professionals who have kids who are chasing them around. And when they have a sliver of time, they're opening up their Instagram account and they're doing the hobby like I'm doing the hobby. So to all the working moms and dads out there who love the hobby as an escape, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you check out Rob's stuff. You can find him on YouTube. You can find him wherever podcasts are released. He is the sports car therapist. This will not be the last time. Rob, always enjoy these conversations. Thanks so much, man.
1: Appreciate you, man.
0: Always love those conversations with Rob, a good brother in the hobby. Go check out the sports car therapist all over the place. He's doing a really nice job. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Back next week on The Other Side, more Stang Slides podcast.